last week we started a new series entitled Church Trademark. Now, who among you were present last week? You were not present because you were not yet in Bahrain, right? <laughs> you just arrived this week. Welcome to Bahrain. Right, so last week we we started a new series called Church Trademark, and we answered this question. What makes the gathering of Christians different? So when we gather, right, what makes our gathering different from other gatherings? Right, some other gatherings will have encouragement, food. Thank you so much for the sponsors. But what makes our gathering different? And in the end of the service yesterday, we said that what, uh, what marks or what makes us different as a church that gathers is our devotion to the Word. Right? Devotion to community. Devotion to prayer. And devotion to generosity. And Saturday, right? Saturday, let me start with a story. Saturday, I was in Lulu doing our weekly grocery. And then I received this message from Gene, I think I was the, the message was. And he was telling me about this person, and I won't say his name. He's telling me about this person who only has one day off. Listen to this. I want you to listen to this. This person has only one day off. He finishes work in the, at dawn. I think he finishes work at 3 p.m. And on Friday, he comes early to the church and helps set up all of these. He sets up all of these for us. But what really touched my heart was what he did after the service. What he did after the service was so amazing. He just left the service. And I was asking myself, why did that guy leave, you know? And I thought he had work. But he left the service, went to his friends, prayed for them, and shared the gospel. Amazing. Right after the service. He, he, because he was so devoted with the word. And I know he's, the, he's so devoted to the word because he gave birth to the hashtag, that's why you should read. He gave birth to that hashtag. We know that he's devoted to prayer because he doesn't even pray in English because he's more comfortable in praying in his own language. That's how devoted he is and he doesn't care what other people will say. And after the service, he goes out there Preach the gospel to his friends. That's an amazing way to show the trademark of the church. But in the same time, in the same breath, what he's doing will create a problem for us. Why will it create a problem for us? Because as people like him go out and bring the sinful people to the church, as people like him go out and engage the lost, this church will grow. And last night while we were sit setting up, I was thinking, where will I put all these people? And I was so... I mean, this morning I received, oh, I was exposed to COVID. Oh, I exposed this. Oh, this COVID, COVID, COVID. And that's the reason why we fit. But if people like him continue to go out and bring people to the church, we will grow. Not because he's seeking honor in the church. He's just a quiet person. But it's his devotion to God. 
And if all of us do that, all of us devote ourselves with the word and prayer. Grabe yung aga pa lang eh, no? Wala pang, there's no music yet. <laughs> right, but so few who are new to the church, this is not new, alright? I always cry. Thank you, Anthony, for the tissues. Right? And all of, if all of us do that, all of us devote ourselves to the word and prayer, it is but normal for us to go out and engage people. Amen? But who among you would agree with me when I say that with growth comes trouble? I was supposed to be preaching about service today, but I'll be preaching something else. Because I know that as this person goes out, as you go out, you bring people to the church, we will have trouble. I don't know if you agree with me, but church is a gathering of imperfect people. Look to your left. <laughs> Look to your right. <laughs> right. No one's perfect. A church is gather, gathering of imperfect people being perfected by God. Uh, Benny, your wife is perfect in your eyes. So be careful. Right. And yeah, a church is a gathering of imperfect people being perfected by God. And yes, right, that includes me. I am imperfect. We are not perfect. It is just a matter of time before problems arise in church. It's just a matter of time when we see the flaws of one person, of that person sitting next to you. It's just a matter of time when you see the flaws of other people and sooner or later, there will be problems. So our reaction should be not surprised. Most of us, when we hear problems, we are surprised. Oh, that happens in church? Oh, it's church and that's happening? Of course it's gonna happen. We are a gathering of imperfect people. But instead of finding the blame, instead of finding who's to blame, why shouldn't our solution be, or why shouldn't our reaction be to come together and find out the solution of the problem? It's easy to blame. I blame my wife. That's a joke. Right. It's easy to blame. But is that a mark of a true Christian? It's not. And what's happening, right, when problems arise, is not new to our church today. It also happened in the past. And that's the reason why we will re- we will, today we will learn from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 6, 1 to 7. And in reverence of the world, may I ask, may I invite all of you to stand. Let's read it all together. Verse 1, right? So we have a big Bible in front. Let's read. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up, uh, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. And, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They, they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's bow ahead. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for giving us your word today. And Father, as we dive into the challenges and into the problems that the church has faced before and what we face today, Father, we pray, Lord God, that through this we will learn, Lord, the trademark of the church our trademark, Lord, so that we can continue to honor you, to glorify you, and to be channels of your grace and of your mercy to the lost. We ask, Lord, that you inhabit this place right now. Lord, mold our hearts, open our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may now all be seated. Now, let's... Um, now, I want... To lay a foundation before we go to the verse, uh, to the rest of the verses. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Right? It says here, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now the church of Jesus, or the church back then, or the Jesus movement has been living in common. Remember what Anthony preached yesterday. They were selling all the things that they have and provide it to everyone so that no one will be in need. Remember the preaching last week? Right? They were selling property and distributing food to the poor members of the community. And it's not communism, right? It's not communism, but it's about generosity. No, ready to sacrifice, ready to lose everything they have and provide for the needs of the people. And listen to this. And listen to this. Because they devoted themselves in the word and prayer, and of course, breaking of bread and fellowship, it has to be there. That's always a part of it. But they devoted themselves to the word and prayer. The disciples were increasing in number. They were increasing. Constantly increasing in number. But this growth actually led to a problem. And it's clearly seen in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. It was creating difficulties for the apostles to minister to everybody. They can no longer wait on tables. It particularly, particularly the Hellenistic Jews, those who spoke Greek, those who grew out of Jerusalem, out of the region because of the diaspora, right? those who chose to embrace the Greek culture, those were the Hellenistic Jews. Right? They were accusing the Hebraic Jews, those who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, and chose to embrace the Jewish culture. Right? Uh, and they were accusing them that their needs were no longer being met. Now, I want you to picture this. Both of them were Jews. Just like all of us right here are humans. But one chose to embrace another culture and the other embrace their own culture. Right? They were racially the same, but they were culturally different. 
And even in the Philippines, and I know as well in Africa, but even in the Philippines, every region has a different culture. Every region has a different set of belief. Every region has a different you know, way of growing up. But my question to you this morning is, will you allow that indifference, that being different, right? will that stop you in proclaiming or sharing the love of God? Is it because um, he's an Ilocano and he's a, he's a Tagalog? Is it, is it because of that that they can't come together in one place and worship? Now, the Hellenistic Jews were being, began complaining that their widows were being overlooked in charitable institution. If you just go back to verse 1, thank you. Now, the Jews were really serious actually about providing for the needs of the widows. Right? Back then, widows were really in need. They didn't have family to provide for them anymore. They didn't, they, especially if that, that's the, true with the Hebrew widows, it is more so with the Hellenistic widows because they were from outside of the region who came back to Jerusalem and they didn't have any family there. Can you get? Can you take? Uh, can you? Can you understand the picture? Can you see the picture? They were really in need. So on top of that, no. They, the and the reason why there were Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem is because they believe they came to Jerusalem to die. They were they came home to die because they believe that resurrection will start in Israel. Right? So in order to avoid the whole process of their bodies driving down the earth towards Jerusalem, and they chose to go back home. And imagine this, imagine this. You are alone in Bahrain and no one is providing for you. And you rely on the church to provide for your needs as you serve the church. Imagine if your needs are not being met. Imagine if you're only being fed three times a day. Filipinos eat five times a day. All rice. Breakfast rice, snack rice, lunch rice, all right? All rice. And then we complain that there's not enough rice in the Philippines. So going back to the text. So for a community who is known to have no needy persons among them, remember, Anthony preached last week, there's no needy persons among them. This was a great issue. This was a great scandal in the church. You're claiming that you don't have any person in need, and yet, here are the Hellenistic Jews saying, they're not being fed. I don't know what fed means to you, but it can be translated to a lot of things. It can be acceptance, it can be love, it can be recognition, it can be purpose. All of us have a need. All of us have a need. So even before the Pentecost, even before Anthony's preaching last week, the Hebrews already saw the Hellenists as unspiritual compromisers who embraced Greek culture. So in their eyes, they were traitors. Even before even before they become Christians. So when they became Christians, they took these doubts with them. 
And what happens? Satan, of course, took advantage of this. Satan took advantage. Problems and challenges will arise. In fact, problems are normal. In the church, outside of church, in the house, problems are normal. So instead of being surprised, what if we see problems as a learning curve? What if we see problems as an opportunity to grow? So that we don't get stuck in the problem. We grow. Who wants to grow? Of course, all of us want to grow. But like this, not like this, right? All of us want wants to grow. Now, in the early years of the Jesus movement, it is during these problematic times that we see the trademark of the church. So bear with me. I know I see someone are sleepy. Bear with me. Now, the fact that the outsiders were being neglected could have actually caused the church to divide. That's how serious it was. However, because of of God's grace, because of God's wisdom given to the apostles, the problem was handled with great wisdom and Satan was never given any foothold in the community. So you get the picture now. Right? Let's jump to verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Wow! Wow! You became a disciple and now you don't have to serve tables. No? And then in verse 4 it says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Wow! Since they are now disciples, they are now excused from serving tables. Is that it? Definitely not. Some commentators believe that this was an evidence of a superior attitude of the disciples. That they considered themselves so highly that serving tables has become a menial job. Some commentators say that. But it wasn't probably the case. It's not the case. This is not suggesting that serving tables is a low task. It's not. Because every single ministry in the church is important. Every single usher is as important as every single preacher. Every single tech is as important as every musician. Every single member of the church, every new member of the church is as important as the old member of the church. Serving tables is not a menial job. So why did the apostles do this? Why did they say that serving tables is no long, is, is not right for them? And this is what I see. We see an apostle who was so humble enough to accept the mistake that they did. Let me say that again. We see an apostle who was so humble enough. These apostles, they were leading thousands. Thousands. But they were humble enough to say it is not right for them to serve tables and neglect the preaching of the word. They're not saying it's not important. They're saying this because they realized their mistake. It wasn't superiority complex. It was in fact an act of humility. That's so difficult. If you're a leader of thousands and you come to the congregation, remember, they called all of the the disciples. And it's so difficult. 
And I was placing myself in the shoes. It's so difficult to be in front of all the disciples, in front of all those people looking up to you and saying, sorry, I made a mistake. They were so humble that they did that. That because they were too busy serving tables, they neglected prayer and ministry of the word. And that's why division is starting to happen. In the preaching of Anthony, they said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now they were neglecting the apostles' teaching. They were neglecting the word. Why? Because they were busy serving tables. Because they neglected the word and neglected prayer, problems happen. Now the problem in the church actually opened an opportunity to examine themselves. They sat down, examined themselves, and how did they respond? They responded in humility. And I believe that is a trademark of a disciple. A disciple should have the trademark of humility and that should also be seen in the church. Sometimes us, born again, we look at others at a different way. Oh, you're safe. Oh, you're not safe. Oh, you're safe. Oh, you're not safe. Hello? If you know that that person is not safe, go and preach the gospel. Humility, you know what humility means? A simple Google would say the definition of humility as freedom from pride and arrogance. Wow. Freedom from pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance is caused by a lot of things. A lot of things. And one of them is ambition. And seeing yourself reach your ambition because of your talent, your hard work, because you're smart, you reach that ambition. You forgot that the reason you're here is because of the grace of God. Now, I had the privilege to listen to Frank Damaggio way back in 2017, and I really took so much time going back to my notes to see what he said because that statement really hit me. He said, don't try to go up the ministry ladder. There is no ladder but just tables to serve. We are servants, not climbers. It's, allure, it's so, so alluring to stand in front. There's always the temptation, I want to stand in front. I want to stand in front. If you know the hard work that people do, when they stand in front, maybe you'll change your mind. Like what I said, standing in front is as important as standing, serving people in the back. We will not be able to stand in front if people are not serving tables in the back. We are servants, not climbers. Ambition will never get us closer to Christ. Ambition never will. When was the last time we served tables? When? When was the last time we cooked for the sick? When was the last time we cooked food for the church? When was the last time we washed other people's feet? Because when we wash other people's feet, people's feet, we know where they came from. These people come from the desert because their feet are sandy. These people come from the farm because their feet are muddy. These people come from the disco because 
they have so much calluses dancing, stug, stug, stug. But when was the last time we washed other people's feet? And this is not something that the apostles invented, definitely not. Because they were only following the model that Christ has established. They were only following the examples of Christ. It was because they experienced Christ that they were doing this. That is why they are called disciples. A disciple is someone who follows and imitates Christ. And maybe that is the reason that we don't experience breakthroughs and growth. Maybe that's the reason we don't experience growth. Maybe instead of being more Christ-like, we become less Christ-like. And maybe that's the reason we're stuck where we are. There is no ministry ladder. There's none. There are just tables to serve. And as we faithfully serve one another in humility, holy, as in full, and sacrificially, what are we doing? We are demonstrating the gospel. That we are not perfect people. And yet, by the grace of God, we are able to let others experience Christ. As we demonstrate the gospel, we get opportunities to proclaim the gospel. And as we proclaim it, we grow. And I am not talking about the numbers of people that will come to the church. That is the least of my concerns. What I am talking about is your relationship with Christ. It's you experiencing Christ in your life. Numbers will come naturally. As people see Christ in our community, people will come to the church. And when we have, but because when we have a relationship with Christ, what we have is life. And what is a proof of life? According to my science teacher, it is growth. If we have life, we grow. As Anthony shared last week, that as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer, of course, do not exclude fellowship and food, right? It has to be there. Growth in numbers happened naturally. Growth in numbers will also happen as we grow personally in Christ. Amen? Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, from whom, wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, what's the problem of the church here? What? You know? The problem of the church here actually gave them an opportunity to act in faith. Not only faith in God, but also faith in each other. 
Now, the second trademark of a disciple, and of course the church, as we see in the scripture today, is faith. Now, it was weird. It was really weird. They were apostles. They were the ones chosen by Jesus Christ. But why didn't they choose the seven? Did that ever enter your head? Why did they ask the whole congregation, the disciples, to choose, that they choose men of good repute? Because they acted in faith. They placed their faith on other disciples to choose men, right, that will be appointed to the duty of serving people. Now, what is faith? Yeah, what is faith? Now, when we talk about faith in the Bible, or when we talk about faith, we think of belief that happens in our brains. I have faith in this chair, so therefore I can sit on this chair. I have faith that this chair can hold me, therefore I sit in this chair. But faith in the New Testament, New Testament, New Testament, New Testament means allegiance and, and loyalty to someone you can trust your life to. The apostles place their faith on Christ. That's one. And because they had their faith in Christ, they also placed their faith on the other disciples. And with Christ as their model, of course, they were not afraid to share their authority and ministry to the other disciples. Ulitin ko yun. Let me repeat that. As with Christ as their model, they were not afraid to share their authority and ministry to the other disciples. Now, the apostles, yes, they were leaders, but they are far from perfect. They were not perfect men. They were businessmen, fishermen. They were tax collectors, and one was even a zealot. Ay, 10 minutes left. Ay. But we see in Matthew 10 that even before they were ready, and you look at Matthew 10, even before they were ready, what did Christ do? Christ sent them. Even far before them, when they were ready, Christ sent them. And now, it was their turn to model Christ. They identified their priority. And in faith, they were not afraid to empower others to, to share their ministry with others. And as we make disciples of our own, as we put our faith in them, it's okay to make to allow them to make mistakes. They don't have to be perfect. Mistakes create discipleship moments. Mistake creates opportunities, opportunities to minister. Mistake creates opportunities to impart wisdom. It creates opportunities for us to show our love to those we disciple. And in these moments of helping each other and protecting one another, what do we get to demonstrate? We get to demonstrate our love with others. Faith. Right? In verse 5, it says, And they said, and what they said, pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. A proselyte. Wow. These they set before the apostles. And did the apostles question them? Did they question? No. They prayed and laid their hands on them. It was ordination. 
The problem in the church that day gave an opportunity to demonstrate the third trademark of a disciple and of the church, which is love. Humility, faith, love. In the Bible, love in the Bible, listen to this, listen to this, right? Love in the Bible is not primarily an emotion. It's not an emotion. If love is an emotion, sooner or later you will fall out of love of that person. Yes, yes, right? Followers of Christ, listen to this. Love is not primarily an emotion, but a commitment to action. Followers of Christ should not, so uh, I mean, should be marked with love. And love is a commitment to action. Love is a commitment to act for the well-being of others ahead of our own. A commitment to act for the well. Why are you smiling, Benny? Right? I commit. You know, I like this stage. I see everyone. <laughs> A commitment to act for the well-being of others ahead of our own. Love is a mark of a Christian and so should be the church. Why? Because the church experienced God's love first. How can you love someone when you yourself have not experienced love. And what I'm saying about this, right, we're not, we don't love a person because we experience love from that person. I don't love Crystal because I experience love from my daughter. I don't love my wife because I experience love from her. I love my wife because I experience love from Christ. And when Christ loved me, I was a sinner. And when Christ died for me, I was a sinner. Therefore, Whatever my wife will do to me, I will act in love for her. Not to reciprocate her, but for me to be an extension of the love of Christ for her. Most of, most of the leaders of back then were Hebrews. right? But they chose six Hellenists, Greek speakers. And even one was a Gentile, a proselyte. And what's a proselyte? A convert to Judaism. He wasn't a Jew, but he was a convert to, the, to Judaism. Now against what they were used to, they showed great love and sensitivity to the offended Hellenists by appointing Hellenists to serve the widows in the distribution of their food. Picture that. If all the leaders here are Filipinos, and let's say Af the Africans were saying, our needs are not being met, we choose Africans to meet their needs. Faith, humility, love. And this made me think, have I been sensitive to those who I have offended and hurt? The, the apostles were sensitive to those who were hurt. 
But am I sensitive to those who have uh, to those who I have hurt? Am I sensitive to the ones that I have hurt? Have I, you know, am I able to let go of what I thought was right to demonstrate my love and Christ's grace to them? Or did I let my pride, my reputation, get in the way of me showing God's love? How about you? Did you let your pride, your reputation, be a hurdle, a wall for others to experience God's love? Is it because, you know, they're a different nationality or is it because they're uneducated that we don't allow them to experience God's love? And it can be translated in a lot of ways. But what the apostle did that day was a very beautiful illustration of Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And I'd like to turn your Bibles there with me. And I will close from here. Okay. I'll, I'll try to land from here. Philippians 2, chap, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. So there is, if so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, read this with me, but in humility count others more significant than who? Than ourselves. Let each of you look not only on your own, only to his own interest, not only so that you can attain your dreams, not only so that you can attain, you know, such great heights, but also the interest of others. Because of humility, faith, and love, and many other characteristics that we can find in Acts 6, 1-7, to the church, what happened to the church? The church did not split. Rather, the church remained united. Despite different cultures and nationalities and ethnicity, despite of having businessmen, fishermen, and farmers in that same church, despite having different opinions, because of faith in one another, because of humility, and because of love, they were able to overcome the problem of division and remained united. And may I invite the um, music team to stand? Verse 7. This was the result. 
Right, verse 7, this was the result. Turn your Bibles with me. And the Word of God continued to increase. Amazing. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Aside from the multiplication of the disciples in Jerusalem, it was actually estimated that there were 8,000 8,000 priests ministering at the temple of Jerusalem. 8,000. Wow. And a great many of that 8,000 because they showed faith, humility, love, and stayed united. Priests who were against Christ, priests who looked down upon the Christians, priests who were persecuting the Christians, a great many of that 8,000 accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. To wait on tables is not a menial task. Waiting on tables is meant to extend the work of the apostles. Waiting on tables is meant so that each and every one of us in this room can be a witness to the priests that are outside of the church. Waiting on tables means it's an opportunity to reach out to the lost. And I don't know the lost in your context, but it can be your family members, it can be your office mates, it can even be people that you play with on the computer or on your mobile phones. Serving tables is not a menial task because it is a way for others to experience the love, the faith, the grace, and the mercy that all of us, you and me, have received from Christ. The mark of a disciple is humility, faith, and love. And with God's provision, grace, with God's love abounding in each and every one of us, the mark of the church is unity in serving the lost. Are you willing to humble yourselves? Show faith. Demonstrate boldness and love. And go to your family, to your office mates, to your friends, and to your community. Now, if today God spoke to you and you feel that you have come short of this, that you lack in serving people, you lack in humility, you lack in faith, and you lack in love. I want to congratulate you. Yes, if you lack in faith, in humility, and in love, I want to congratulate you. Why? God has showed that to you, and now you are in a position to accept God's mercy. 
you are now in a position where God can work with you and grow you into the man and the woman that He wants us to be. Another mark of a disciple that I did not talk about earlier is hope. Another mark is hope. Your circumstances, where you are right now, does not dictate the meaning of your life. It's God who dictates that. So if you think you lack love, faith, humility, you're in a good spot. Invite God to work you and grow you to the man and the woman that He wants you to be. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that despite us being in a broken world, despite, Lord, us being in a, Lord God, living a life that is, Lord God, far from what you have designed, Lord, thank you for giving us the privilege to serve those tables. Father, right now, Lord, as we commit ourselves, and if you indeed commit yourself to serving those menial tables, I just want to invite you to just lift your hands as an act of surrender. If you want to serve those menial tables with us, just lift your hands as an act of surrender to God. Lord, you see those hands who are being lifted right now. Father, I pray, Lord, that you give them tables to serve, not only in their homes, Lord, but in their communities. Father, I pray, Lord God, that because they chose to serve those tables, Lord, you will grow them in humility, in faith, and in love. Father, let them experience your love right now. Let them overflow, Lord God, with your grace and your mercy. That every plate they touch, it's as if they are touching someone's heart. That if every food they serve, Lord, it's as if they are giving the gift of life. And Father, you see these hands, and I pray, Lord, right now, that you grant our desire to serve your people so that we can be instruments, Lord, of your redemption. And Father, as we go to serve the tables, Father, I pray, Lord God, that you protect each and every one of us, that you protect, Lord God, us from any disease, and that you provide us, Lord, with the wisdom, the grace, Lord, and even the sensitivity to your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your love and for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Why don't we lift our hands to receive the benediction? Father, we thank you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you peace and opportunities to serve tables. May the Lord be bountiful to you and to your family, not just of material things, but of His love and of His mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Right, next week,